I don't know uh, if you've ever felt like God isn't listening to you. Uh, perhaps you've uh, approached God in prayer and it just seems like nobody's at home. Uh, nobody is listening to your prayer. Well, this morning I'd like to look at just uh, really two or three verses in particular from this chapter which we read. Uh, because in this chapter we read of someone who God listened to. And we're told why God listened to him. And so we're going to be looking in particular at 2 Chronicles chapter 34 and verses 26 to 28. And listen as I read these verses again to why God listened to King Josiah. 2 Chronicles 34 verse 26. And this is, uh, just to clarify, this is the prophetess Hulda speaking in response to Josiah's um, urgent request to hear what God has to say about the fact that Judah has largely ignored God's law and his instruction. And this is the message, or part of the message, that Hulda sends back to King Josiah. She says, But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before God, when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, and you humbled yourself before me, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. In these just two short verses, God explains to Josiah why he has heard Josiah's urgent prayer. He's heard King Josiah because Josiah has a humble, tender heart. Now, the opposite of a tender heart is a hard heart. Uh, to have a hard heart is to be a person who is proud, uh, stubborn, ignorant, not wanting to listen to what others tell you. That's what it means to have a hard heart. Uh, I heard a story of an uh, architect in 1937 who was called Frank Lloyd Wright, and he built a house for an industrialist called Hibbard Johnson. And one rainy evening, uh, Johnson was entertaining uh, distinguished guests for dinner, and the roof of his house that Wright, the architect, had designed uh, started to leak. Uh, the water was seeping through uh, directly above Johnson himself, uh, dripping steadily onto his bald head. Uh, irately, Johnson phoned his architect, Mr. Wright, and he said, Frank, you built me this beautiful house, which we enjoy very much, but I have told you the roof leaks, and right now I am with some friends and distinguished guests, and it is leaking right on top of my head. 
Wright's reply was heard by all the guests. He said, well, Hibbard, why don't you just move your chair? And you see there, you have two stubborn men. One man is not willing to fix the problem, and the other is not willing to do what he can to ease the problem. They're stuck in an impasse. This is what stubbornness does. It refuses to listen. It refuses to bend. It refuses to move. That's what it means to be stubborn. Uh, Often in the Bible, um, people are described as like donkeys or like cattle. And they're described as stiff-necked. And I'm not familiar with looking after animals like donkeys and cows, but I understand that if a donkey or cow doesn't want to do something, they will stiffen their neck. They will stiffen their strong neck muscles, and there's nothing you can do to move them if they do not want to, or at least not without great force. That donkey and that cow are stubborn. They refuse to be moved. They refuse to listen. That's what it means to have a hard heart. But Josiah is described in this passage as having a tender heart, a soft heart. Uh, To have a tender heart means that you are a person who is humble, who is teachable, and who is sensitive to correction. You're not hard and unbending you are able to be moved. You're quick to listen to rebuke and correction. And that's what Josiah is like in this passage. Uh, King Josiah, if you like, was warm and teachable and soft in God's hands. Josiah was someone, in short, that God could work with. Now, this might surprise you, uh, but God isn't looking for perfect people. God has already found a perfect person in Christ. None of us are Christ. We are saved by him and through him. God does not require us to be perfect. Christ has dealt with all of that. What God does require is that we are teachable. God does require that we are humble, that we are contrite, that we listen to what he has to say to us. Because those are the sort of people God can work with. And the Bible repeatedly says, I believe this is a verse found three times in the Bible. Uh, God says that he resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, The book of Micah says, What does the Lord require of us but to love mercy, to do justly, and to walk humbly with our God? Those of you who are parents here this morning, uh, you'll know that you don't expect your children to be perfect. You might like it, you might want them to be, but you don't expect it. You don't expect your children to be perfect, but you do expect them to be teachable. You do expect them to listen to you. You do expect them to listen when you rebuke them. 
that's what you want of your children. And God is a greater father, a greater parent than you are. And what he expects of us are to be warm and tender and teachable in his hands. And when we are like that, God's ear is open to our prayers as it was open to the prayer of Josiah. But that does beg the question, how can we tell if we have a tender heart or a hard heart? Uh, It's an important question to ask because the reality is we all think that we have a tender heart. Nobody says, oh yeah, I'm hard-hearted. We all think that we are tender of heart, that we are teachable, that we are reasonable. It would be ridiculous if we thought otherwise. But unfortunately, uh, self-diagnosis is often unreliable, isn't it? Um, We look at ourselves often with rose-tinted spectacles. Uh, We get a better view from those who live with us, (laughs) to those around us. Uh, If you want to really find out if you're tender of heart, ask your spouse, (laughs) ask your children, (laughs) ask your parents. Um, Perhaps you're not quite so eager (laughs) to do that. Perhaps you're afraid of what they might say. Uh, But there are three questions we can ask ourselves uh, rooted in this passage which will help us to see if we have a tender heart like Josiah. The first question is, uh, what is your attitude? What is my attitude towards God? Um, Does the thought of God delight you? Does it please you? Do you approach God expectantly and with joy or does the thought of him bore you perhaps it scares you perhaps it irritates you instead of drawing towards God do you shrink away from him that's an evidence of a hard heart Uh, in verse 3 of chapter 34 it says for in the eighth year of his reign that's Josiah's reign while he was still young he began to seek the gods of his father, David. I love that verse. It says, well, he was eight years old. While he was still young, he began to seek God. His heart was open to what God had to say to him. He wanted to know God more. Josiah's heart did not move away from God into the cold, into the dark. It didn't ossify into hardness instead he approached God he was willing to be softened by God that's a sign of a tender heart but second question we can ask is uh, what is your attitude to God's word Uh, what's your attitude to God's word are you eager to hear what God has to say Uh, did you notice what happened in this passage Uh, Josiah is seeking God, and he even decides to rebuild the temple. The temple had been disused and had been fallen into disrepair. So because he wants to know God better and he wants to have a relationship with God, he builds the house of God in the 18th year of his reign. You can see that in verse 8 onwards. And as he's rebuilding the temple, or his servants are rebuilding the temple, they discover a scroll. They discover a scroll of the covenant of the Lord. In other words, uh, it was um, a part of the Old Testament, 
the whole Old Testament had not been written at this point. Most likely, it was the first five books of Moses, perhaps just the book of Deuteronomy. We're not sure. By the way, he discovered a portion of God's word, which was dusty. It clearly had not been read for years. And this is what it says of um, what Josiah did next when the scribe tells him of this discovery. It says in verse 18, When Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. Thus it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, and Abdon the son of Micah, Shaphan the scribe, and Asaiah a servant of the king, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. Do you see how Josiah discovers this book? He hears the word of this book, and it immediately has an impact in his heart. He is sensitive to the words of this book, what God is saying to him. That's what it means to have a tender heart. Elsewhere in scriptures, in scripture it says, God says, that to this man will I look to him. In fact, I think it's on the front of our sheets. Um, God says, Isaiah chapter 66, on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. I wonder how often uh, you've been reading your Bible and far from trembling, you're bored. You're, you're barely able to read the words on the page. Uh, perhaps you feel like that often in sermons. I apologize. <laughs> but that's not the attitude Josiah had. He trembled at God's word. He was eager to hear what God had to say to him. And I've shared this story, I think, um, before in our evening, one of our evening services. Um, but you may uh, know the um, uh, famous uh, Australian, um, I'm not quite sure what his job was, I was going to say crazy man, but um, he was Steve Irwin. You, you perhaps as you might have known his TV programs where he would wrestle crocodiles and alligators and things. And he had like a kind of um, an animal park which he ran um, but tragically he was um, killed just a few years ago um, in a, an encounter with a stingray um, but he had a TV program as I was growing up um, I think like Steve Owen Big Adventures or something and in one of those programs he's in the outback of Australia and he's journeying along in his car and as he's uh, driving along he sees a snake in the road now most of us would veer the car away and get out of there as quickly as possible uh, but not Steve Irwin. Uh, he jumps out of the car and he approaches the snake because he wants to find out what the snake is. And he, he seeks to grab hold of the snake and the snake bites him. The problem is he wasn't sure <laughs> what breed of snake this was. And with trembling hands, he runs back to the van and takes out a book of uh, snake species to find out whether the snake is poisonous. And you can see him on the thing, his hands are trembling as he's looking at the book to see how deadly this snake might be. And he breathes a great sigh of relief <laughs> when he discovers that the snake is not deadly. Now that's obviously with a book on snakes. 
that is a somewhat different situation. And yet it's almost with that attitude that Josiah reads the book of the law. Uh, it's not his merely physical life at stake, but it's his very soul. And so he trembles as he reads God's word to discover what does God have to say to him. That's the attitude of a tender heart, one which is eager to listen to what God has to say. What is your attitude to hearing God's words? But a third question, third and last question we can ask, is what is our attitude towards others? Uh, Are you concerned about those around you, or are you merely concerned about yourself? I'm not asking if you are just a a nice person. Everyone wants to be a nice person. There are all sorts of motivations we might have for wanting to be a nice person. Many of them are purely selfish. We want other people to think well of us. We want to be uh, the nice guy. We want to be seen as a loving and lovable person. And it might have very little to do with our concern, genuine concern for others. But look at Josiah's attitude at the end of this chapter, uh, after he's heard from Hulda, God's prophetess, it says what Josiah does next in verse 29. It says, Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites and all the people, great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood in his palace and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the gods of their fathers. Do you see how Josiah wasn't merely concerned for himself? He was concerned for the whole people of Judah, whom God had made him king of. And I love kind of like the image. It's almost like he, he gathers all the people. You can almost sort of imagine, I'm sure it wasn't like this, but you can almost imagine him going in the streets and, and grabbing one. It says, he got everyone great and small. It says, you're all included. Come, listen. You must listen to what God has to say. He is eager to share with people what God has to say because he wants them too to discover God's will. their life. That again is a sign of a tender heart, not one which is folded in on itself and is merely concerned with your own concerns, but is also concerned for the concerns of others. So those three questions will help us to determine whether we have a tender heart or a hard heart. But that leads to the last question for us. If we discover that we don't have a tender heart, how can we get one? How can we be like Josiah? How can we have a heart which has the ear of God? Now, I don't know for sure the heart of anyone here this morning. I'm not even entirely sure I know my own heart. Not very well, anyway. And the fact is, you may not be listening to me at all, even now. Your mind might be on dinner. 
or something else. And ironically, if that's the case, then you need to hear what I'm going to say next more than anyone else. Uh, but the truth is we all need to hear it to some extent. Uh, all of us have a degree of hardness of heart. In fact, the Bible teaches that naturally we all have hard hearts. When we're born, our hearts are not open to God. Naturally speaking, we run away from God. Our hearts are shut off to him. We want to do what we want. Just listen to any child who has learned to talk. Before too long, you hear, I want, <laughs> I want this, I want that. It's the cry of our hearts, naturally. Not what does God want. We don't naturally listen to him. We naturally listen to ourselves. And tragically, we're often blind to the danger that we are in. Uh, we think that listening to ourselves is the place of safety. We're afraid to do things which we're afraid of or um, that cause us concern. And yet we don't listen to what God has to say. And we're not worried about what he tells us. We're blind. So first of all, if we want a tender heart, we need to be broken. We need to come to a realization of the desperate state that we are in by ourselves. In the last couple of days, I've just been with um, someone who was recently um, diagnosed with a um, very serious form of cancer. And yeah, he went to the doctors, I think, it was, I think it was last year, possibly the year before. And he um, went to them and they, they did the biopsies and they discovered cancer in his lymph nodes. And if you know anything about cancer, you know that's um, a very bad sign. And uh, he talked to the doctor, and, and he hadn't had an awareness of this before. And he talked to the doctor, and he said, well, how long do you think I have left? And the doctor said to him, well, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't like to say. <laughs> and he said, well, well I'm, I'm, I'm a manager of a, of a business. <laughs> I need to get things in order. Can you give me any sort of idea at all? And the uh, doctor replied, well, I, I wouldn't like to say more than three months <laughs> and he said that news <laughs> just hit him like three months three months to get his affairs in order he came to a realization of the seriousness of his situation and that's what we need to come to as well uh, instead of sort of walking blissfully through life we need to understand that we have a God, a God who makes requirements of us. You saw Josiah in this passage, and to a large extent, he was blissfully unaware of the situation the nation was in. They hadn't read the word of the Lord for a long time, it seems. But then he came to see how serious their situation was. And he tears his clothes. He humbles himself. He thinks this is a catastrophe. It led him to seek God. And that's what we first need to come to. Realize what a dangerous situation we're in. That without Christ, we are lost. We can't even change our behavior by ourselves. We need God to work in us. But that by itself is not enough either. 
to simply know what a bad state you're in, how much you have sinned against God and how much danger that puts you in, isn't enough. Uh, Judas understood the severity of his situation to some extent. He betrayed Christ. He sold him for a measly 30 pieces of silver. And at the end, he's afflicted with regret. And he, and he gets some sort of awareness of the horror of what he has done, betraying the one innocent person, the one truly innocent person, the son of God, God himself. And he goes to the temple and he flings the money at the feet of the priests. And he says, I've sinned, I've betrayed innocent blood. And the chief priests say, what's that to us? And what does Judas do next? He goes out. And he hangs himself. He realized the gravity, the seriousness of his situation before God. But it didn't lead him to God. It led him away from God. Instead of seeking God for a solution to his problem, instead of seeking God for grace, he ran away and destroyed himself. As it says in John's Gospel, he went into the night. That's the opposite of what we must do. When we realize the seriousness of our situation, how serious God views our sin, we must run to him. <laughs> it's the opposite thing of what we naturally think we should do or what we want to do. Uh, you don't run if you're a criminal. You don't run to the judge. <laughs> you don't run to the policeman. But that's what we must do because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's exactly what Josiah did. What did he do? He went and sought out someone who could speak on behalf of God. He found Huldah, the prophetess. It seems there weren't many prophets left, prophets or prophetesses left in Israel at this time. But he finds Huldah and he seeks God in his need in this catastrophe. And God pours grace onto his wounded heart. His heart, which has been broken, God mends. Do you notice those beautiful words that he says? Uh, he says in verse 27, because your heart was tender, this is God speaking to Josiah, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against his inhabitants, and you humbled yourself before me and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I bring on this place and its inhabitants. So they brought back word to the king. Whenever I read that, I sort of imagine it's like, it's like ointment, it's like balm, it's like cream being poured on a sore heart. That's what God is doing to Josiah. He's pouring grace on his wounds. That's what the Bible says God can do for us as well. If we have the humility to run to him instead of running away from him, he can heal our broken hearts. You remember what Christ said in Matthew chapter 11. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. Other versions say gentle and lowly of heart. God is gentle. God is kind, and he is open to the cries of those who have a tender heart. And he proved it 
by Christ dying on the cross. He came for people who ignored him. He came for people who rejected him. He came for people who had sinned against him. And he proved his love for them for dying for us while we were still sinners. So we don't need to fear him. We just need to run to him. And he can pour ointment on our broken hearts. Uh, we learned this with Manasseh, didn't we, the other week? Um, it's hard to find a worse king than King Manasseh. But when he cried out to God, when he humbled himself before God, God restored him. And he turned Manasseh's life upside down. He gave him a new heart, a new heart open to God that listened to him. That's what we must do if we want a tender heart. Don't run away from God. Run to him. I'll just close with one uh, final warning. Um, I hope and I trust that many of us here this morning do have a soft heart. Uh, that we have understood that we are guilty before God and we've run to the Savior. We've run to Christ for the healing that only he can give. I really truly hope that is all of us here this morning. Uh, but the truth is that even though we have been given a new heart by God, that heart can get increasingly hard. Uh, you might remember how Jesus rebuked the church at Ephesus. And you remember what he said to them? He said, repent, because you've lost the love you had at first. Their hearts have started to grow cold. Uh, their sight has started to grow dim. All believers have been given sight by God, but we can grow short-sighted. We're not blind like an unbeliever, but our eyes can grow dim. And the way we keep our hearts soft, the way we keep them tender, is by staying close to God. Now, God is the warmth. God is the light which keeps our hearts soft. And we're in danger when we wander away from him. Now, I've shared this before, but I'll share it again. There was once a, uh, a great cellist called Pablo Casals, apparently. Uh, but when he was 95 years old, he was asked why he continued to practice six hours a day. Practicing his cello, one of the greatest cellists of all time, still practicing six hours a day. And his response was, because I think I'm making progress. You see how that man, that cellist, wasn't looking back at what had happened in the past. He was looking forward. And that's the attitude we should have as well. That's the attitude of the Apostle Paul. Philippians 3, verse 13 to 14. Paul says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Don't rest on the tender heart you had yesterday or the tender heart you had 10 years ago. Cultivate a tender heart today. Listen to God's word. If you're not listening to God's word regularly, your heart will grow cold. Read your Bible regularly. If you don't, your heart will grow cold. Uh, if you're not praying regularly, if you're not praying with God's people regularly, your heart will grow cold and hard. 
if you mix in bad company, your heart will grow cold because your heart reaches the temperature of those around you. You will feed off them. Beware small sins because small sins become big sins. Small sins dull your conscience. They make you cold towards God. Let me close by reading what Josiah did um, at, the, um, at the beginning of his reign. And it's a good model for us. Uh, did you notice what it said when it said he sought the Lord? It says in verse 2 of chapter 34. It says he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father. And it says, uh, it, um, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molten images. They break down the altars of Baal in his presence, and the incense altars which were above them he cut down, and the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images he broke in pieces and made dust of them and scattered them it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He goes out the whole land, it says, and he crushes all the other rivals to God. He will not have any rival to God in his life and in his land. And that's what we should do if we want to keep a tender heart a heart which God listens to. Purge out all the rivals to God in your life. Fix your eye on him alone and your heart will remain warm and tender towards him. And that's why I've chosen as our final hymn, a hymn which expresses that thought. Number 690. Oh, for a heart to praise my God, a heart from sin set free, a heart that always feels thy blood so freely shed for me. Uh, particularly verse 4, a heart in every thought renewed and full of Lord love divine, perfect and right and pure and God, good, a copy, Lord of thine. So we'll stand to sing 690.